Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for tuning in here with me today. It is Wednesday, April the 29th. Got a good show lined up for you here today. In the back half of the program, I'll be joined by the president of the BC Freedom of Information and Privacy Association to talk about possible concerns around tracing apps. Yes, we have heard a lot about, you know, these potential apps being used to trace co- cases of COVID-19, but what concerns should we have, uh, you know, as a general population when it comes to these tracing apps and it comes to privacy concerns that surround those? We'll be chatting about that in just a little bit. And I haven't done this in a while, so I thought it was time for a new and installment of That's Whack Wednesday. But to begin today's show, I am taking a look back to yesterday's Kamloops City Council meeting, and I'm joined on the line now by Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian. Mr. Mayor, how you doing here on this Wednesday? I'm great, Jeff. Glad, glad to be here. Good. Glad to have you. So uh, I'll just start with uh, one of the big things you announced here yesterday, and that is this Mayor's Task Force in Economic Recovery and Renewal. You gave quite a little uh, you know, speech on, on opening this thing up and why it's an important thing here for our community. So let me just start by getting a, a quick sense and an overall summary, I guess, from you about what this task force is really going to be doing. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it occurs to me and, and probably most of everyone else that uh, there is going to be a big hole for us to dig ourselves out of. Uh, the gross domestic product uh, here in uh, Kamloops is going to suffer, and it is suffering now. And uh, my concern is that when the restrictions are lifted, we won't uh, jump right back to where we were. It's going to be a longer and slower recovery, particularly in some of the sectors. And the one that is of uh, the greatest worry to me is the hospitality and tourism sector and uh, I think it's going to take some time to build back and uh, I want to be able to uh, have a, a group of uh, individuals uh, study that in, in a scholarly way and, and suggest things to Camel's Council that we might be able to do to kind of uh, ease the uh, impact of this. Now, you know, as we going to go through this whole process, I mean, we're looking at mid to late May for things to really start. Uh, so what is your schedule for how you're going to kind of want to see this thing play out? I mean, when are you going to start meeting and when are you hoping to start seeing some sort of recommendations from this task force? Yeah, so uh, my intention would be to uh, convene the task force group itself in in May. Uh, I've uh, tasked the council with a number of meetings within uh, sectors that they would go and and, uh, uh, gather uh, information from those individuals and organizations. And then uh, we would probably meet in June to look at uh, what council has uncovered and uh, have this thing wrapped up by August. It's not meant to be a long-term. Uh, exercise. Uh, these are very busy individuals that have graciously indicated for the most part that they would be uh, prepared to uh, work with us on this and uh, so I want to be uh, very cognizant of their time and contribution uh, and I, I think we need some uh, pretty quick decisions in terms of uh, assisting business uh, and the community and, and Councillor Singh mentioned it yesterday, it's, it's as much a community recovery exercise as it is an economic recovery exercise. 
Uh, and, and looking through some of the members that are going to be on this, I mean, there's a pretty wide array of uh, professionalism here, like in, just in terms of where what people's focus would be, right? We got like the school board involved, we got our MLAs involved, we have our MP involved, uh, the TNRD is part of this as well. I mean, just how important was it to make sure you were really diverse in the, the people that were going to be on this task force? Yeah, actually, uh, I had even uh, suggested a smaller group, but uh, council, when they looked at it, wanted uh, some other areas covered, and, and uh, certainly that is reflected in what uh, I presented yesterday. Uh, I should just point out, this is not a partisan kind of exercise. Uh, you know, Kathy McLeod is there. She's the MP, but she's also a registered nurse, and, and uh, I think brings a, a great perspective in terms of that. Uh, Todd Stone, uh, while he is the MLA for Camel South Thompson, was a CEO of a tech company and and Peter Millibar uh, both a former mayor as well as uh, you know heavily involved in the uh, retail industry so you know they're bringing uh, a whole bunch of skills to a problem that's a very Kamloops focused uh, and and uh, to some degree regional focused uh, exercise and I think that uh, you know it's that team Kamloops approach and and there's a good representation from uh, Thompson Rivers University who I've said many times are, are tremendous partners with us and then of course representation from large uh, industry medium and large business uh, small business sector uh, as well as the bc chamber of commerce through elise laird so you know it is diverse and and uh, i think uh, it's uh, a group of people that should be able to put their uh, oars in the water in terms of uh, coming up with some solutions for camelops and when you're looking at uh, the date for this, right, and, and I don't want to focus too much just on, on timelines, but, you know, you're talking about beginning meetings next month here in May, concluding in August. Uh, of course, as we go through a pandemic, there's really no knowing when we're going to be out of this. I mean, is there a possibility that the work for this task force needs to go beyond August? Yeah, and I had scheduled an evaluation for the end of the year uh, because of uh, the potential for a second or tertiary wave uh, that uh, could occur as a result of the novel virus that we're facing right now. So, you know, we may have to have some adjustments, uh, and I'm also uh, wanting council to look at our strategic plan that we developed in good faith a couple of years ago, and uh, now I think there is uh, some pieces of that that we're going to have to look at as a council that you know, we never envisioned this kind of a, a halt to the economy in Kamloops partway through our term. And uh, just one more question here on this task force, and it's more just a, a general question about the, the city here in general. What is your confidence level of uh, the, the, the municipality of Kamloops to really power through this and, and stick together and, and get through this pandemic together? Because that's really going to be the key is that we do this as a group. It's, it's not about individuals at this point, right? It's about uh, everyone kind of doing their part to make sure we get through this together. So uh, just, you know, how, how confident are you in the ability of Kamloops to weather this storm? Well, I'm very confident, uh, you know, as probably was the mayor in, in uh, 1918 uh, as Camels recovered from the Spanish flu. Uh, but, you know, Camels has a long and proud history of, of working through these things and working together. And uh, I just want to make sure that uh, the recovery from this event is going to be uh, timely and complete. And, and that's what this task force will assure uh, happens. All right, well, we'll move on to uh, some other stuff here. One of the things that was talked about as well was uh, penalties for uh, property 
tax deadlines, right? Missing those property tax yeah. deadlines, yeah. and you're looking to basically go with a, a 5% uh, penalty on July 31 and a 5% penalty on October 1. Um, that was, um, you know, there was a few different options on the table, but that was the one the council elected to go with was the 5-5 split. Why did you think that was appropriate? Yeah, you know, it was a good discussion uh, yesterday. I think uh, all of council weighed in and, and a lot of different perspectives. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we need uh, the money uh, to run the city. Uh, it's not like we collect money from, from taxpayers and hoard it. Uh, this is money that we uh, turn into services that people want. So your taxes are due on the uh, 1st of July, as usual. Uh, what council did yesterday for those people that uh, aren't going to be able to meet that date uh, we have deferred the five percent tax penalty uh, for a month and I give them a, a month to to secure that money and if they uh, couldn't then we have deferred it until uh, the first of October which is similar to the deferral that the provincial government put in place for business and, and uh, industry so you know I think it's fair uh, you know we have to realize that certainly the federal government and to some extent the province of BC have uh, done a lot in terms of trying to uh, keep people whole uh, during this uh, crisis and uh, you know we're hoping that with that support that people will be able to pay things as important as their taxes and their utility bills. And uh, another thing, of course, was mill rates that was talked about yesterday and, you know, how our 114, approximately $114 million uh, tax collection will be divided amongst different tax classes. Not a whole heck of a lot of changes, really, when you look at the tax rates from 2019 to 2020. Some, you know, decimal points difference in a few of the different classes, but for the most part, it's about the same. Um, can you just maybe tell me a little bit about the discussion that was had yesterday around those mill rates and, and sort of why it was felt that, you know, not a, not not any real significant changes or shifts needed to be made at this time. Yeah, you know, I think uh, the fact that that was approved relatively uh, quickly reflects the fact that our finance committee spent uh, uh, literally months on that last winter and uh, have uh, developed a strategy in which we can uh, equalize the uh, mill rates across the various tax classes. So that was really uh, the reflection of the work that they had done, and uh, I don't think there was an appetite uh, on council yesterday to revisit that. I think that they have a plan in place that... Uh, is solid and it's defensible. We we have an issue in Camels with the uh, rate for major industry, and that really only affects Domtar and Tolco, uh, and it's a remnant of uh, you know a kinder and gentler time when Weyerhaeuser was the only show in town, and and they were paying a lot of the freight, and now Domtar is left, and uh, they are paying uh, just uh, over five and a half million dollars per year in their tax bill. So we are working to uh, try to uh, make that more fair, but uh, we need uh, other industries and utilities to uh, help spread that uh, tax burden. Yeah, is that just, uh, I think, uh, a reflection of maybe just a shift in the way we're doing business, right? Less industrial tax base really just around, not uh, not just here in Kamloops, but just sort of in a general sense around the country and around the world. There's just seems to be less industrial business taking place in, in, in centers like a Kamloops. I mean, is this just kind of a reflection uh, of, you know, those those types of properties being a little bit fewer and far between these days? Exactly, Jeff. You know, there was a time when, uh, 
you know, this was a resource-based town, and, and those uh, resource industries were right in town. We used to have a sawmill right down here, and and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, that has changed, and, and uh, certainly uh, we have uh, got a lot more of our taxes now from the residential tax base as we shift to a, a knowledge-based economy. And so, you know, the uh, tax structure was still sort of uh, camped in the 70s, and we have been active about uh, modernizing that. Do you have a message for people who, you know, homeowners out there who, who hear something like that and think it's really unfair that the tax burden is getting shifted more and more onto homeowners? Is there any sort of message you have for those types of people? Well, uh, you know, I think we have to look at a number of things. One is that uh, every one of the employees at Domtar is also a residential uh, taxpayer in Kamloops, and uh, we need to be fair. And uh, right now, when you look at other municipalities in British Columbia, we are the highest in terms of our uh, taxation of major industry. And as I say, that's a bit of a remnant. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to work to make sure that that's a competitive field for uh, major industry, just like we want a competitive field for gas stations or for funeral homes. Awesome stuff, Cam. Well, I always appreciate you coming on and taking the time to speak to me. So thank you so much for doing this and enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Thank you, Jeff. That was the mayor of Kamloops, Ken Christian. Well, let's take a quick break and I'll be uh, chatting with the president of the BC Freedom of Information and Privacy, Privacy Association, Mike Larson. So stay tuned and the Jeff Andrea Show will be right back. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being here with me. As we go through this COVID-19 pandemic, there is a lot of talk now about mobile apps and how they can be used to help with tracing of the novel virus and to find out where exactly cases are and how people are coming in contact with it. Of course, when we're talking about smartphone apps, there are natural concerns with regards to privacy. I'm joined now by the president of the BC Freedom of Information and Privacy Association, Mike Larson. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks very much. Always a pleasure. So, yeah, let's just start on a general sense uh, when we're talking about COVID-19. Uh, what what are the, the, I guess, guidelines that people should have in their heads when it comes to privacy? I mean, there's a lot of people out there who probably think, you know, we should know where every single case of COVID-19 is. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it's important that, you know, you know exactly which location they are so you can avoid coming in contact with them. But of course, with that, you know, there's the privacy issue of, of, of knowing that specific of information. So uh, what, what I guess is the, the privacy rules around that kind of thing? What should people in British Columbia be aware of when it comes to your own privacy? that you should have when it comes to COVID-19? It's a great question, and I think it's one of the key questions being asked in, uh, by people working in the privacy field uh, around the world, not just in, in, in B.C. Um, right now in B.C., we don't have a provincial um, app for what's called contact tracing uh, that's been formally rolled out. So there's a lot of um, waiting and looking and watching to see exactly what that might look like, if that's going to be uh, brought forward. Likewise, at the Canadian level, we still don't have a, a, a national uh, approach to this. Um, so, but we do see this taking place elsewhere in the world and there certainly are privacy implications for this so a couple of points one is that although there are lots of grounds on which governments can uh, take extraordinary measures including privacy impacting measures and we've seen this in bc in the context of covid19 that doesn't eliminate um, or circumvent our privacy rights in general. So any measure that government would be bringing forward uh, for contact tracing, for public health surveillance, would have to be compliant 
to the extent possible uh, with our existing privacy legislation. Um, and, and so that would mean, from, from TIPA's perspective, from our perspective, that would mean that there would have to be really robust um, safeguards put in place to protect the uh, use of information collected uh, in, in the context of uh, uh, contact tracing uh, to ensure that access to that information is very restricted. It's used for limited and specific purposes. And there are some very big questions um, that are being answered differently in, in jurisdictions around the world about whether applications might be um, required, uh, voluntary, strongly encouraged, and depending on, on whether people are consenting to something or being forced to do something has huge implications in terms of privacy. So I guess the general comment is that I think people in British Columbia should be actively watching this space, this issue, um, and, and looking uh, to, to, to hear some very clear proposals put forward by government uh, and, and have an opportunity for feedback and discussion before anything is implemented at this stage. Uh, right now we have no um, formal procedures. They are doing contact tracing, but they're doing so without the use of a uh, provincially rolled out app. So they're following cases and and kind of backtracing contact, which is something that's been done in pandemics for for years. Um, nothing new about that right now. Um, what we may see taking place uh, is the installation of apps that um, allow your phone to kind of keep a record of other phones within proximity, mm-hmm. and and that can be that data can be used if. Um, if and when one of those phones happens to be connected to what's, what is a known active case, then they can actually go back into the data and say, well, here's a map of, uh, of whom people may have had contact with. That's part of the, the promise of contact tracing. It, some of this still, though, I think, to my mind, is still in the, in the realm of science fiction in the sense that, you know, we don't have a good model of uh, a process that, that really works perfectly, that is uh, really effective. And again, it requires things like people to buy into its use. It requires people to actually have phones that can be used. There's lots of technical issues with this too, in addition to the privacy issues. When talking about just apps in general and tracing apps aside, uh, just when people are downloading, uh, you know, apps for their phones uh, that they use on a fairly regular basis, I guess, what sorts of privacy rights do they have right now? I mean, we we see whenever, or at least my personal experience, right, whenever I download an app to start using, there's always like a 12-page list of terms and agreements that I pretty much never read, and I just click accept, and I go forward. Does that pretty much just sign away any rights that I have to privacy? Or, or you know, what, what are the general rules, I guess, around privacy just from a smartphone app uh, generality speaking? Um, so it really depends on whether you are using an application or downloading an application in the context of work involving a public body, a government body, or if you're involving a, a private sector entity. So, for example, if you want to download an application like Zoom to use to connect with your friends on the other side of Canada because you can't see them, um, then you would have to review the policy, uh, the privacy policy, and, and make your own choices. And you would use a consent-based model for that. And that means that they have a terms of reference that are built into that. You review them. You click for consent. Um, government bodies are quite different. So, for example, in the education sector, where students in these days are, are teaching, are learning online and, and using applications more and more, um, they don't use a consent-based model. Um, instead, government um, uses applications and collects personal information to those applications to the extent that it is necessary and reasonable in the context of that work. So it's a bit of a different privacy dynamic. But here's my advice to people, because we are all, I think, increasingly living our lives online, we have to, and we are downloading more applications. 
Um, these applications can have uh, terms of reference and privacy policies that are very complicated and difficult to understand. I recommend that rather than exclusively relying on the terms of reference that are presented by an app itself or by the app developer, people spend a little bit of time before they download something just to conduct some research. And it could be as simple as typing in the name of the application and privacy in a web search and just seeing um, what's been happening in terms of conversations. Uh, questions about things like data security because, you know, people working in the privacy field are really trying to be on top of this. So people are actively assessing applications like Zoom and, and similar applications looking at, well, do they keep data secure? Um, where's, where is data stored? These kinds of questions. And so having a sense of um, how the whole thing works, how it fits together before you consent I think makes really, really good sense. One of the big issues we see in British Columbia is that typically our law in BC uh, requires government bodies when they collect personal information to store it in BC. This is called a data residency provision. And it's really, it's, it's a very privacy protective provision because it means that if we're collecting personal information, it's not being stored in servers that are accessible to you know, other jurisdictions with diminished privacy standards. Well. There has been some relaxation of those requirements in the context of COVID-19, um, recognizing an emergency context. So there is more personal information being collected by governments that is being stored outside of BC right now to facilitate public health response. Um, that's a thing to watch out for too. I think people can do their due diligence on this pretty effectively, um, but I think it is, a, is an occasion to pause and, and really think about privacy um, before proceeding to download things. Because right now, this is a um, this is a great market for people who are selling applications for connectivity and and, and for um, you know online meetings. They have a, a massive audience, and so there's a lot of people who are promoting technologies. Some of which are are perfectly reasonable and effective. Others have serious privacy implications. So this is the best time to do some some real serious due diligence and I, I guess you know from a consumer standpoint and when we're talking about specific back to the the, the tracing applications that could be out there for uh, tracking COVID-19 you know I guess there's going to be a bit of a reliance on the consumer that the government has done that due diligence that you're speaking of themselves and we're sort of going to be uh, almost piggybacking on that and just saying well the, the the BC government says this is the app to use therefore I am mm -hmm. confident that that my privacy is going to be protected so uh, I guess how important is it that uh, you know, the government maybe is is the one leading the way when we're talking about these specific apps because we're just going to be sort of uh, taking the message that they deliver and saying, all right, they told me to download that. I guess I'll do that. Well, as, as a transparency and accountability advocate, um, I, I always would, would say trust but verify, right? So this is... This is not only a time for us to be considering issues around privacy, but it's really a time for us to be considering issues around transparency, too. Now more than ever, there's a real public interest in ensuring that we have all the details, all the information we need um, from government to assess whether the decisions they're making are effective. So um, now what this means in the context of things like contact tracing apps is I would expect um, the government of British Columbia, if it proposes uh, or and invites people or suggests and recommends that people use a particular app, that it provides a really detailed uh, overview of exactly how this works, of all the privacy protections that are built into it, and that, and I, I'm sure this is already occurring, of course, and that it is something that they have already had really robust conversations with the Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner of BC about. Um, the, the Ombudsperson offices across Canada, this is the Privacy uh, Commissioners and Information Commissioners across Canada, have been um, all hands on deck over the last month um, trying to work with governments to ensure that um, any measures that are being put in place are lawful, are minimal in terms of privacy implications, 
Uh, and so anything that's being rolled out, I, I would want to see that it's been given that real seal of approval uh, by, by a privacy commissioner who's looking at it with a very specific perspective in mind. Um, so transparency on that issue is vitally important. And there's some basic questions I think uh, people in BC need to ask about any kind of application. So one, one good example of this is um, who has access to the data? Now, you, if, if you have a, an application that allows for live, real-time tracking of individuals, which is a massive surveillance application, uh, for purposes of public health, that may indeed be, indeed be justifiable, especially if people are voluntarily consenting to this, knowing how it works, and, and making, you know, essentially another decision in the interest of public health, which we've all been making so actively over the last month. That may make good sense. But it only makes good sense if that data is something that's being used for a public health purpose exclusively. One of the concerns that, that my organization has, that CEPA has, and, and this is shared by people in civil liberties groups across Canada, is that the data that may be collected through these kind of applications could be of interest to all sorts of other parties outside of the public health context, to, to law enforcement, to immigration enforcement, to, to private sector. It's a, it's a pool that gives you information about who's going where and talking to who and connecting with whom at when. Um, that's really valuable data. And it may be, again, justifiable in a public health context, but that justification immediately evaporates if it is just used as a, as a resource. So I would think British Columbians would need to ask very serious questions about access and limitations of access to ensure a public health application is indeed exclusively for public health. And the other big question to look at is, is what's the expiry date on this? Yeah. Uh, for, for, from our perspective in FIPA, and, and again, this is shared by organizations around the world, um, you know, we are in a legitimate emergency, a declared public health emergency, a global pandemic where there are justifications for extraordinary measures. But this can't be a, a, an open-ended justification mm -hmm. for a new normal that diminishes privacy. So anything that comes forward, we want to see very clear indication that it's going to be temporary and that data is going to be purged. It's going to, it's going to go away. And the authorization to collect this data um, is, is limited to the specific context here. It doesn't create this opportunity going forward because you can just see the gears turning where people are thinking, wow, if we had this capacity to do real-time surveillance of people via their phones, uh, there's all sorts of applications we could put it towards. Those are not justifiable in the context of this public health emergency. Yeah, especially in this kind of a situation where we're talking about an app that would really only be, uh, you know, as effective as uh, the number of people that have actually downloaded it, right? The more people that have it, the more effective the, the tracing apps will actually be. So uh, it's, it's relying, I guess, on, on bulk downloads to to make sure that it, it would work properly uh, i wanted to ask you this mike as well just before i let you go just in terms of canada's ad advantage here uh, do you think that there is a bit of an advantage for us here in bc and here in canada that you know when we're looking at this the whole covid 19 pandemic in general we were a little bit behind you know places like asia and europe and we had a little bit uh -huh. of time to sort of watch how they were handling their um their, their their virus curve right when it comes to flattening the curve as we talk about so much in in the healthcare system but now that they're also you know starting to come out of things a little bit ahead of us too and then we see like australia is really pushing this app now for for contact tracing in, in, in australia you know can we do you think we're at an advantage when we can look up those types of places and see what they're doing with this type of technology and then we can sort of maybe uh, you know weed out the issues uh, that they're experiencing and not not have to necessarily deal with them to the same extent and have that same learning curve here in canada a great way to put it. We could definitely uh, interpret this as an advantage. We can see where things have been done elsewhere. We can see, um, we can assess effectiveness 
you know, so when we're looking at applications that we might want to adopt, one of the big questions is, well, does it actually work or is it just this kind of technological panacea that people are looking for? And there's data out there we could refer to there. And we can also look at um, the different applications in terms of how, how they centralize data, um, how they protect privacy. There are options that are available. So I think we do have that advantage of being able to look at what's taking place elsewhere. Um, and. I guess the, the, the big concern I have is that, um, you know, we're, we're all very anxious to, to get back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, and, and it seems to be in other jurisdictions, you mentioned Australia is one and there are others. It seems to be that one of the vehicles that is used to kind of push towards that normalcy is the idea of an exchange of privacy, an exchange of privacy through surveillance uh, for increased sociability. So for increased ability to go about. So we say, We'll re reduce some of the restrictions around COVID. You can go out a bit more, but but here's the trade-off, mm -hmm. and that's a, that's a dangerous trade-off. It, it, it's the kind of decision if we've if we've been doing what we've been doing for for um, it seems like forever, but for over a month now, um, it's well worth the time for us to take a little bit of extra time to make sure we're doing this right on the privacy perspective, because the implications of doing it wrong will will echo um, long after uh, uh, the pandemic, uh, and it's very difficult. One of the the truisms. And working in the privacy field is once you take measures that impact privacy, that expand surveillance capacity, it's almost impossible to roll them back. It's a big fight. So if we're going to make these kind of expansions, let's do so carefully. Let's look what's done elsewhere and, and really make some prudent decisions. Great stuff as always, Mike. Really appreciate you taking the time. Um, lots, lots to dig through there. So I really appreciate it. And we'll uh, kind of just have to watch how this process rolls out. I assume at some point in the not too distant future, we'll hear more about what the government has in store when it comes to these tracing apps. And then we'll just have to, uh, uh, you know, kind of dig through it and, and see if these uh, implications that we've talked about are, are impeded or not. But uh, really appreciate you taking the time to bring to light some of these issues. Okay. Thank you very much. You have a good one. You as well. That was Mike Larson, president of the BC Freedom of Information and Privacy Association. And just to double back there about what I was saying about Australia, the Australian government launched a COVID-19 tracking app Sunday in an effort to curb virus spread. Voluntary COVID Safe app aims to speed up the current method of manually locating and contacting individuals who have been near someone with COVID-19. So when two devices that have downloaded the COVID Safe app are in close proximity to one another, the app remembers the user's date, time, distance, and duration of contact. And when someone is diagnosed with COVID-19, they can permit health officials to view their encrypted contact information and use the captured contacts from the app to inform any relevant individuals that they may have been exposed. So there's sort of an idea of how this whole thing might work. Well, let's take a quick break here and I'll be back with more Jeff Andrea's show after this. Your opinion Caller text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show, and thanks for being with me here on Radio NL. It is Wednesday, the middle of the week hump day, if you will. It all goes downhill from here, both in this week and this show. It is time for That's Whack Wednesday. It's That's Whack Wednesday. Now, it has been a little while since I have done this segment, and while well, I was listening to some comments made by the Prime Minister yesterday, and as I was sitting there listening, there were a few times where all I could think is, Oh, that is whack. Yeah, and the biggest point was when Justin Trudeau was saying that this is our current way of life, and it will be standard. This will be the new normal. 
until a vaccine is developed. I have a strong disagreement with that, especially after he went on to say this. So we're in an earlier stage of the outbreak. That means we have the chance to determine what our country looks like in the weeks and months to come. How can this be the new normal if we have a chance to change what things look like in the next few weeks and months? It's a contradictory statement, in my opinion. And when the guy who is the so-called leader of the country comes out and contradicts himself, well, I think that that is... Yeah, Trudeau went on to say that there is the possibility of a second wave. And of course, we all know that there is this possibility of a second wave. Whether you believe it will come or not, that possibility still, frankly, exists. But what we don't know is what is normal going to be? You know, how can we say that this is going to be the new normal if things are going to change? The initial peak, the top of the curve, may be in late spring with the end of the first wave in the summer. As Dr. Tam explained, there will likely be smaller outbreaks for a number of months after that. Now, when there is going to be waves, there's going to be peaks and valleys, and our behavior is going to change as we go through this. You know, if businesses start to open up in some form, then what we're doing now isn't normal, as it will change. Stop with the whack PlayStation song. Joey Tribbiani knows what's up. Maybe it's the term normal that I have a problem with here. There is no normal anymore. What we're seeing now isn't normal. And if there are going to be changes moving ahead, then this isn't the so-called new normal, as things will look different in a few weeks. Is that going to be the new normal? Is what we're doing now the new normal? BC Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry said yesterday that she's continuing to target mid to late May as a time for when things could start to ease. Well, what will that look like? Because it's probably going to look quite a bit different than what we're doing right now. And if things get worse come the fall, then it will look different yet again. There is no normal. And I think we need better terminology because the word normal, well, there is a word that I have for that phrase right now. And I think you can probably guess what it is. Yeah, this has been That's Whack Wednesday. That's Whack Wednesday with Jeff Andreas. All right. Well, on that note, I guess it's about time for me to wrap things up here. Uh, just a quick note on tomorrow's show. I will have uh, BC Health Minister Adrian Dix on the program, so stay tuned for that one. Uh, that'll be coming up at around 12.20 tomorrow afternoon. So uh, please tune in for that. If you've got any questions, you can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey underscore Andreas or hit me up with an email at jandreas at stingray.com. That's J-A-N-D-R-E-A-S at stingray.com. Well, on that happy note, I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll be back here tomorrow at noon.